today's episode of the Goldcast is sponsored by the turning of the tide. We were actually just talking about this before we were recording right now. Uh, my brother, myself, and our very special return guests, one of our favorite 49er uh, influencers, one of our favorite, favorite, favorite fans, Johnny Dells, is back here to join us for this recap on what was a major turning of the tide, as, as I was just saying. This was the game that changed everything and really, really put us on a map in a way that just the NFL had refused refused to put us put us on. The NFL, pundits, analysts, the talking head shows. No one, you know, you, you had pockets of people convinced at various times, but this was the game that turned the tide. And of course, we're talking about the game of the year. Last, last uh, yesterday morning, 49ers, Saints. But before we get into it, uh, Raymond, why don't you let them know, where can they find us? You can like us on facebook.com slash the goldcast, and you can follow us on Twitter at the underscore goldcast. And you can also subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and YouTube, all under the same moniker of the Goldcast. Like, subscribe, and comment, especially on YouTube, because that's where everybody tends to give their takes on what their predictions of the game is. And we always like to read some of those off to see how close people got or how far off the mark they perhaps were. And we uh, love to hear from you. So that's the best way to get in touch and set up notifications so that you get notified when we go live, such as we are now. Awesome. And then, Johnny, why don't you let them know where they can find you online as well? Sure. They can find me at Johnny Dell's Football Academy on YouTube. Uh, that's Johnny Dell with no H. And also on Twitter at Johnny Dells. Awesome. And Raymond, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter at Ray Solis and Instagram at Ray Solis 1. Awesome. And I'm on Instagram at Rudy Solis 3 and on Twitter at Rudy Solis 3RD. All right. Here we go. We are so pumped. Every Everybody from 49er Faithful is so pumped. I have been getting messages all over social media from fans from everywhere. Just, just what an ecstatic win this was. We're going to break it all down. The greatest fanalist in the game is here. Your professor of fanalism is here. Our favorite special guest, Johnny Dells. He's in the house too. Classes in session. Let's go. San Francisco, are you ready? This is the Gold Cast. Boom! Welcome to another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Slisa III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Salisa first, baby. And then once again, for the people, let them know who you are, sir. Our special guest. Johnny Dell. Yeah. All right, guys. Man, this is... Uh, a meeting of the minds. I'm very excited. Before we even begin in the game, I'm just really happy to have Raymond and Johnny on the same gold cast. Unfortunately, Raymond was not able to make the first time you were on, Johnny. And so this is uh, very exciting for me to have both of you guys on here. Let's talk about the lead up into this game. First of all, they were saying this was the hardest stretch three-game stretch this late in the season that any football team had ever had to go through in the Super Bowl era. Never in the Super Bowl era had a single team had to play three teams 
with uh, that had that had that were um, averaging 800 or more in the win column. This had never happened. Three in a row, we had to face Green Bay at home and then on the road against the Baltimore Ravens and then on the road against the Saints. Baltimore Ravens, the clear-cut, undisputed, best team in the AFC. And then the Saints, who most people were saying was the best team in the NFC before we played them, that they were the actual, even though we were the number one seed, the general consensus was that they were the actual best team in the NFL. Vegas had them favored by three. We handled the Packers. We lost in a tight one to the Ravens, really tight one. And, you know, there were some mitigating factors that I think uh, made it difficult for anyone to walk out of that game going, well, you know, it was a clear-cut Baltimore victory. You know, most pundits said, hey, you know, if the weather is uh, wasn't what it was, we would have got a very different game. Whether or not we win or lose, that obviously is impossible to know, but clearly we had some mitigating circumstances. And then we go into New Orleans to face the Saints. As I already mentioned, Vegas had them favorites by three, and pretty much even even major Niner analysts and beat writers that uh, I follow on Twitter all pretty much had the Saints. Raymond, you and I on our prediction show we're very confident that the 49ers were going to win. I, I really wasn't a doubt in my mind. I'll tell you guys a great story. So I'm bartending NFL Sunday, and in front of me are two Saints fans. Drew Brees scores that final touchdown, 52 seconds left on the clock, and one of the Saints fans looks me dead in the eye and he goes, are you nervous now? And I looked at him. I didn't even blink. I said, no, not at all. We're going to win this game. We're going to win right now. I'm not even remotely nervous. And this was the moment. You know, this is that moment that every quarterback has to face at some point. They got to go the length of the field, less than a minute to go, down, need, need, you know, field goal or touchdown to win. Jimmy G, it's all on his shoulders. And he delivers. They get down, and really the game-changing play, of course, is the pass to George Kittle, George Kittle tries to break off. They literally tried to rip his head off because that was the only way they were going to stop him because had they not face-masked him for almost, I don't know, 15 yards, 15, 20 yards, he would have made a touchdown and it would have been it. But Robbie Gould with two seconds left on the clock kicks the game-winning field goal. 49ers win 48-46. to And you could just see it. There were there were Twitter videos of what looked to be, I'm not exaggerating, at least 149er fans marching through the streets of New Orleans. There were clips of us and had taken over whole clubs. I watched the highlight videos today, and I kid you not, the cheering for the 49ers was so loud in New Orleans. It was unbelievable. Uh, I want to start first. Let's start with our guest, Raymond. Johnny, I just want to get your overall impressions of this game. You're, you're welcome back. And just what do you, what do you think? How do you feel uh, today? We're recording this on Monday, 24 hours removed from what was everyone's calling the game of the year. Uh, I'm getting a lot of memories back to 2011. I mean, if you, if you look at the parallels between this game and this and the playoff game in 2011, it's pretty kind of startling. You, know, you have while we may be the better team or seen you know with a better record we're we're the underdogs right everybody picks the saints over us just like 2011 we have a quarterback coming in that while he's led the team to a lot of wins 
he's being questioned. Early in the game, we have a defensive back knock one of their guys out, and it comes down to an, a spectacular play at the end made by one of our tight ends. Uh, there's a lot of parallels to that game, and I'm feeling much like I did then, which is uh, life can't get much better as a 49er fan, right? Oh, yeah. No question. Definitely. It, it, this, you could just feel the energy amongst the 49er fans. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not even joking. I can't impress upon you guys how many 49er fans I'd never even met running up to me and hugging me yesterday during that game as we were watching it uh, at the restaurant that I work at. It was just phenomenal. The energy, the high, just the, you could just, you felt it. You felt the, the it was that moment. This is the, the, I like to describe this moment. It's a, uh, this is that matrix moment. I talked about this before uh, on a, on a gold cast a long time ago. There's that scene in the matrix where Neo is running. He's, he's being chased by agent Smith and he runs to the steps of the subway and he can escape or he can turn and face Agent Smith. And when he tur- he decides to stop and he turns and he faces Agent Smith and then right when he does that the other the they're Morpheus and everyone's watching him on the, the computer screens and they go what is he doing? And then Morpheus says he's beginning to believe. And it's like that's the moment where Neo becomes the one. And that th- this was like the matrix moment I feel like for the 49er fandom where it was like we all really begun to believe that this this was this isn't just any type of 49ers team. This isn't just any type of season. This is something really special is going on right now. And this team is so for real. And I love all those parallels, Johnny. I didn't even think about it. The way you broke it down like that, that is you're you're right. You're absolutely 100% right. The parallels are kind of crazy. Raymond, I want to toss it to you. Where are you at? What are your feelings on this epic game? It was like the playoffs. It was like, it was exactly like the playoffs. I think uh, Johnny Dale put it nicely comparing it to the 2011 game because we've had three shootouts with this team since 2011 up to now. And it has, these have not been, these have been games when even when the defense was really good in two of those contests, they didn't necessarily, you know, hi, you know, put a lot of highlights in the role. Although in 2011, the famous Dante Hitner, Dante Whitner uh, hit, on Pierre Thomas was, you know, early in the game that really set the tone for the what would be the rest of the game. Although in, in this week's case, or in this the, this past week's case, it was the big hit on Jared Cook to knock him out of the game, but not before he had done two touchdowns worth of damage. And we also got a penalty for that, which didn't exist back then. And the it although it didn't end with Kittle catching, you know, making a catch four esque play. You know, he was the driving force that on fourth and two that really kept us alive. And, you know, Kyle Shanahan said in the post game press conference that he thought he was, he had like eight plays ready to get drawn up to march the length of the field. And George Kittle in one play with three defenders on him, you know, got, got his yardage and then got an additional 15 and put Robbie gold in position where we didn't have to run any more plays. So it was just spectacular. George Kittle's ability to a, get yardage after the catch and B to break tackles. His strength is just massive. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't look as big as, as like Gronkowski or Tony Gonzalez, but 
but there, I mean, but there, there's some similarities there that just are undeniable. But to me, the thing that stands out with him is his, his ability to just like, I don't know, his willpower is just on another level. He just, there's something in him that just when he gets the ball, you feel so confident that he's going to like shed people and just, I mean, obviously it helps that he put on 20 pounds worth of uh, muscle on the off season because now he's even stronger than he was the past two years because he just muscles his way through people to the point where, he, as you pointed out, they had to rip his head off just to try to get him down. And at that, and even then it didn't work. He was dragging the guy with the face mask. And then another, the other defender had to jump on his back and give out, give his legs out from underneath just to pull his weight on. It took, again, it took three guys to get him down, but by then the damage had been done. Plus we had 15 yards for the penalty and it was, it was over. I mean, the, 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 the big weakness for New England going into that game was the pass, and we saw a lot of passing, and it matched. Jimmy G was able to match Drew Brees toe-to-toe the same way that Alex Smith was able to match, match him, and also the same way that Brian Hoyer two years ago was able to match him for the most part, but the defense couldn't keep us into that, in that one when we needed to, and we ended up losing by one possession. But we won big in the, the games that counted that were more significant, which was 2011 and now in 2019. And Jimmy and Drew actually threw for the exact same yardage, 349 apiece. So this was just an all-around just – this wasn't – this was like a boxing match where none of the boxers are blocking. They're just trading punches left and right, and that's it. There's no defense. There's no dodging. It's just like, nope, we're just going to keep punching, and then whoever's left standing at the end, that's the winner. Absolutely. Johnny – Answer, answer, answer me a question. Uh, you know, you, the way you, I love the way you break down the film footage and, you know, I know you're, you're still working on all that, but what, what did San Francisco do that rendered the New Orleans defense so inept in this game? What was the secret to the 49ers kind of de- breaking down their defense? What, what happened in this game? I mean, both these, both these teams, I think, did a successful job of rendering each defense in net, but the 49ers were get, able to get a couple key stops that really made the difference in this game. But what did the 49ers do to the New Orleans Saints defense? Well, I haven't gotten to the film yet. It hasn't been released yet. Um, but I can tell you, I before this game, I did go back and I watched – four out of New Orleans' last five games. And uh, I was planning on doing a video, scouting video like I did for the Ravens, but I just, I ran out of time last week. But one thing I noticed, and I was really wondering if Shanahan was going to do this, and he did, was that New Orleans is soft down the middle against the pass, Uh, especially with their linebackers out. I was watching their film, and I was looking, and I, I kept thinking, wait a minute. These look like different linebackers that are in because at one point it looked like they were solid and then it looked like they're really weak. And then I started paying attention to the numbers and they were different linebackers. When Kiko Alonso was in there, he was he was performing very, very well. Him and Demario Davis were doing very well together. And then they would put A.J. Klein in and it was a completely different defense. And so I went to PFF and was like, well, is this just me seeing this or what? And if you go to PFF, their rankings – are night and day. Kiko Alonso was ranked had like an 82 overall grade where AJ Klein had a 39 overall grade. And, and yeah, and both those guys were out. And so one thing I was wondering, because I saw the saints early in games like to play man coverage. They like to put uh, Marshawn Lattimore against the team's number one receiver. 
And Shanahan knew this before the game. If you pay attention, I went back and watched the game from the broadcast. Lattimore is on Kittle in the first drive. And that's why Sanders hits two big plays early in that game. So they went away. They were they anticipated man coverage and they first went to a play that would he would release outside because it was um, I can't remember the, the guy's name for St. Louis, but or New Orleans. But they released outside with Sanders. Eli Apple? Be, yes, or, it was Apple. Yeah, yeah. yeah they picked on he him hits a him, lot. Yeah, they, he hits him on an outbreaking route. And then they come in and they hit him on an in-breaking route. Go after him twice with Emmanuel Sanders. After that play, then New Orleans put Lattimore on Sanders. And that's when we hit Debo Samuel on a slant against Eli Apple in man coverage again. And so we started taking advantage that they were they were trying to put their lesser linebacker, not Demara Davis, in like a lurk role, but Jimmy was looking him off, and so he was able to hit different guys in man coverage and stay away from New Orleans's uh, strength on defense. And that point, then New Orleans couldn't just match up man to man; they had to move to a zone, which ended up we ended up hitting more big plays against the zone throughout the rest of the first half. And then they, they went back to man in the second half, made some adjustments, but then we ended up beating them with against man as well, because what Sanders had done in that game, they couldn't put Lattimore on Kittle. So Kittle was one-on-one at that last play versus a no-namer, you know, a guy who just was not a big-time star on their defense. And so you see what happens, you know, when you have this, the amount of skill position players we have now where a team cannot simply put their best cover guy on Kittle or put their best cover guy on Samuel, you're seeing this offense just explode to a different level. It's kind of like a pick your poison on the defensive side where you can't double team. You have four pass rushers that can all get to the quarterback at, at a Pro Bowl level. And if you double team any one of them, you're you're putting your quarterback at risk. And so the same thing applies to the receiving core now, especially the, with the way that A, Emmanuel Sanders is an elite player and Debo Samuel has stepped up ever since we had that game where, where we had critical, the third down drop that Debo had where it hit him in the hands. He also had the, the end zone where he dropped in touchdown. I feel like he's really stepped up since then. And now he's become reliable. The same with thing with Kendrick Bourne. He stepped up since dropping those crucial plays that cost us a game. It, it took a loss for those two guys in particular to kind of wake up. And now they're playing at a level where they're as reliable as Kittle and Sanders, where Jimmy G has confidence going to them. Yeah, you know, the, there's there's a lot to be said in particular about Debo Samuel. And I like that Johnny and you, Ray, both brought that up. Earlier in the season, before, right as we were, I think right after the trade, for Emmanuel Sanders, uh, right before I, can't, I think it was right before I was talking about on on the Goldcast that we re, we needed somebody to step up. You know, we we couldn't just rely on George Kittle to to kind of bail everyone out or, or a running back a squad. And Debo Debo has really benefited from two things. He's benefited from George Kittle being there because he's learning. From from George Kittle, he's been really open about this, about breaking tackles and and just the whole science behind that part of his game. He has the most uh, broken tackles of any wide receiver in the league, and he's a rookie, and it specifically has come from working with George Kittle. And Emmanuel Sanders there has just, 
it was the best trade of it was the best midseason trade that anyone has done in the league and he opened up the entire passing game at a level that no one else was capable of but that allowed Samuel also to to really rise and to thrive with Sanders in there he really made the difference and Debo really elevating himself and learning from from both Sanders and from Kittle has really just made the offense so much more dynamic in the second half of the season I mean we really saw it's been really interesting to just watch this team evolve. We were basically, uh, you know, uh, a really fancy uh, run by committee uh, offense in the beginning of the season, especially as Jimmy G was still getting his feet underneath him. We really relied heavily on the defense to protect the lead. And slowly but surely, the team has evolved. And Emmanuel Sanders, uh, sh- the Emmanuel Sanders trade and Debo Samuel rising to the occasion really has allowed this offense to step into a whole different level and we really saw it this past week. Uh what about what about the defense, Johnny? What what was New Orleans doing to put our defense in uh such a compromising position? We did not see a level of dominance. Raymond had predicted uh five sacks. I ended up predicting three. We got zero on Drew Brees. <laughs> yeah, we missed, we missed the mark pretty bad on that one. <laughs> yeah. So what what were you seeing? What 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 did New Orleans do to our defense that made that allowed them to be so successful cuz it was impressive what they were able to do against us. Well, you know, Drew Brees is one uh, one of the top 10 quarterbacks ever, right? You know, I I think that's pretty certain by this point. Yeah. So no his completion percentage is 10% better than than like all time it's 10 percent better than like brady young aaron Rodgers. he's insane yeah, yeah. i mean it's, it's ridiculous when i would watch him on film it, he's he's just marvelous to watch because like you could see him he'll come out pre-snap and drop back look off to his left in his first two steps i mean completely off to left and then throw a pass into the flat on the right on on a stick concept or something you know a really short concept that he he'll know nine times out of ten where he's going with the ball before he goes in there i, I looked up next gen stats before we went into this game he's leading the league in fewest passes fewest percentage of his passes thrown into tight coverage which means that when he's he's moving defenders with his eyes all the time and he did that to our defense he moved our zone we play a lot of zone right he moved our zone defenders like a master and then two you know, Jaquaski Tart has not gotten a lot of love this year. I know Richard Sherman. We've, I think, we've all heard him in the press conferences talking up Tart, how he's having this great year, and everyone's just kind of been like, "Eh, he's yeah. mad." I think a lot of fans have just really been like, "He's replaceable." His he's, absence was very noticeable. It was huge. Mar- Marcel Harris, I could see it on the 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 broadcast. I was telling my wife during the game. I said, "Marcel Harris is playing a horrible game. We're really missing Tart." He was. He played a bad game. He took bad angles in the passing game. He took some really bad run fits. There was one in particular I remember seeing. You might remember it. It set up New Orleans's second or third touchdown. It was the third touchdown. It was when Taysom Hill went in for a touchdown. It was like two plays before that. They ran the ball down to the three-yard line, and Witherspoon was pounding the ground and being really demonstrative. He, what he was doing, I could see it on the – the from the broadcast he was mad at marcel harris for taking the wrong run fit he took his run fit and it opened up a lane for the run lane 
So with this wide nine that we play, your safeties have to fill C gaps a lot more. Harris kept trying to bounce outside on runs and it would let, let them get eight, nine, 10 yards on a run up the middle. And then he was taking some really poor angles in the passing game. And so it, it was getting guys open. And from there you start yeah, having guys case pressing. Point, Latavius Murray had nearly 10 yards, uh, average 10 yards. Exactly. Carry. Exactly. And so uh, then when you also have now your safeties can't be relied upon, your linebackers start pressing and they start trying to get too aggressive up front. And then they started attacking our seams, which are behind your linebackers and, and outside each safety. And so they were, what they started to do was attack, what was our weakest link on defense and keep exploiting that. And they found creative ways to keep doing that. So, you know, one credit, uh, Sean Payton for a really good game plan, but it really threw everything off. And because Drew Brees was getting the ball out so quick, your pass rushers start, you, it makes it so you don't want to run a lot of stunts. And if they're able to run up the middle, then you really don't want to do stunts. You can get caught. On that, and we're already having trouble with your run fit. It's kind of one thing leads to another, a domino effect. Once they can start exploiting certain things, it takes away other things that you can do really well. Raymond, uh, what were your thoughts? What were you seeing on your side? Well, New Orleans, offensively, they've been exceptional against zone coverage, and we play heavy zone coverage. So, But it's also what's gotten us to this point. So it wouldn't make much sense for Salah to drop something completely different to try to stifle them. You got to go with what's working. And, you know, in theory, you're you're saying, hey, our pass rush should be able to get to Drew Brees and force him into some bad throws, which complements our number one ranked pass defense. But it just didn't happen. Brees had enough time. And was, as Johnny pointed out, was getting the ball out so quick that it was negating our pass rush. Although Nick Bosa played a terrific game, despite not having the statistical numbers that people tend to glamorize over. No sacks, but he did have the TFL and his pressure game is still on par. Game in and game game in. I know that stack totals eventually become, you know, the big statistical number that people gravitate to, even when it comes to Pro Bowl voting. That is a number that is, you know, heavily considered into the when they do those votes. But Nick Bosa's pressure game was definitely present in that game. We D Ford was left early and that certainly helped that does not help us because we the edge collapses at the same speed with both of them playing the edges the way they do. D Ford has the quickest step off the snap uh, than anybody on our defensive line, but Nick Bosa get can coll- collapse his side of the pocket just as quick as D Ford can. And so missing his presence I think also helped Drew Brees in getting his ball out on time and protecting him and because these guys both flip sides. We started to do blitzing and stunts in the fourth quarter, but I think at that point Saul was just trying to get something going because he wasn't able to stop him. And the running game outside of Latavius Murray was, you know, absent. Alvin Kamara was a shell of himself. Taysom Hill had a, a few runs. He had like five attempts. He wasn't he wasn't a huge impact. And Latavius Murray was really the one that was the bell cow for them. On conversely, our rushing defense was our rushing offense was amazing. We we're we're Mostert seems to be getting a lot of att- more attention now. He's doing it in the air and on the ground. But yeah, but going back to the defense, I was surprised. I mean, I 
you expect, you know, some games to be challenging for the defense, which has happened this year, but never to the degree where you feel like they didn't show up at all outside of the forced fumbles. You know, we did have a couple forced fumbles, one by Marcel Harris. You know, if there's anything that we can give him credit for is he did cause one of those forced fumbles. I don't think it was the one we recovered, though. I think it was uh, the other one that DJ Jones got, which is the one that DeForest Buckner was able to recover. And and that was um, those ended up being two of the most pivotal plays of the game. You know, outside of everything else that we gave up to Drew Brees and on the ground, there was 116 yards on the ground that we gave up. There was the the force, both turnovers. There was a turnover by the fumble, and then there was a turnover on downs. Both of those turnovers led to scores, not just field goals, but touchdowns. Conversely, the pick that we gave up, which Emmanuel Sanders should have caught, but ended up getting tipped into the hands of New Orleans, that just turned into a field goal. And one of their touchdowns late in the game, also they tried, they had a failed two point conversion. So there was some big keys. I'd say there's, there was like three big key stops that the defense had that ended up being just enough to allow us to edge the Saints at the end of the game. So even though the defense wasn't really there in, in its normal totality, it, it at least had a couple of flashes in the pan that were able to contribute to the win. Nice. Okay, Raymond, I have a question for you. Who. This is one of our favorite games to play here. Who gets your game ball and who gets your cold shower? Cold shower I probably have to give to the defense just because I felt like even second half adjustments didn't seem to slow down the Saints at all. And Marcel Harris was a big part of it. You know, you can see the impact that Joukowsky Tart has on the defense. His angles are better. His tackling is better. He reads the run better. He plays the pass better. Marcel Harris just hasn't had the reps. We even shined uh, Anquan uh, Axum Jr. to the squad in case we need him. So, And I know that Tart's still going to be week to week. I just feel like that first week bye is now even more pivotal because the game didn't come without its without its casualties. We lost Weston Richford for the year. He's got a torn right patellar tendon. He's done for the year. Richard Sherman and D Ford are now expected to miss like two to three weeks. That means they're, they're done for, for at least a regular season, maybe the last game if we really need them. But at this point you're thinking playoffs for them. And Kawan Williams is in concussion protocol. DJ Jones has a sprained ankle. I expect both those guys to be there within the next game or the game after. But this time of the season, it's just really hard to sustain health in the game of football because of how physically demanding it is. And this is not just, it's not like we're the only team that's going through this. I mean, we play Atlanta Falcons this week. They lost, um, they lost, uh, what's his name? Um, Trufant. And they also lost Calvin Ridley for the year. So, so they took some hits. Rashad Penny tore his ACL in the Rams game. He's done for the year. So a lot of teams, Lamar Jackson was limited in practice today because of a quad injury. You know, everybody, even the stars are, are dealing with, you know, the, the physical demand of the sport. And it's just tough. But so it's unfortunate that we're losing some big names there. Although I thought that uh, the center for Western Richburg, I forget his name, but he came in and played great. It almost was like a seamless transition. There seemed to be no hiccup in the center position. Um, after West Richburg went out, which was great because now, so now he starts the week with all of those reps, all of that conditioning and practice, which will help him prepare for the Falcons, even though they're a bad team, they're a team that's playing, that's been playing pretty good since, uh, since the, the, the half of the se- first half of the season. So they're not going to be a slouch and they're not going to go down without a fight. That's not going to be an easy game, but to, to anyways, to make a long story longer, my cold shower goes to the defense. This one, I think it's without a doubt, the easy one. Johnny, who would you give your cold shower to? 
Uh, same thing, defense. I mean, they, they've been stellar all year, and Richard Sherman even said it. They they didn't show up today, and it was it was or yesterday, and it was a good thing the offense did. I mean, what it was, we allowed twice our average in passing yards. I mean, compare this last game to what they did to Aaron Rodgers, and you yeah. go, okay. I mean, and we then, haven't, yeah, we we haven't allowed a 300 yard passer, or we allowed one 300 yard passer before this year, and that was from garbage time from Andy Andy Dalton, right? So like this is this is not even close. I think the next guy had 200 yards. You know, this is this is the outlier. Right. This is the anomaly game. But I mean, we were playing a prolific passer who just happens to also has been exceptional against the zone, which is our bread and butter defense, but also happens to be apparently our weakness, our weakness, according to Drew, Drew Brees and company. And we lost three times our point. Uh, the, the the points that we allow all year, we allow three times that on Sunday. And, it, and but like I said, them stopping the two point conversion, stopping the turnover, nullifying, you know, negating that to just three points. Those turned out to be big difference makers too but overall they were pretty much not there it was this was a shootout you know through and through agreed agreed i'm in the same boat definitely the defense that was probably the most shocking aspect of the game uh which you've already you guys have already gone in at length now raymond who gets your game ball gotta go to kittle I, I, I consider Jimmy Garoppolo because he did have an amazing game and was able to match Drew Brees. He was even slightly more efficient. He had less attempts for the same amount of yardage. And even though it was four TDs versus five, the pick, the pick I would I would credit the pick to Emmanuel Sanders more than Jimmy Garoppolo. He did throw it a little bit ahead to him, but to me it seemed like it was catchable when you look at the replay. And the fifth touchdown was a trick play a um, flea flicker to Emmanuel Sanders. So he was able to make up for it to a degree if, if you look at it from that perspective. But to me, um, I think George Kittle, because it was fourth and two game on the line and he came through in, in the clutch moment. So that to me was kind of an easy one. Ooh, I like that. All right, Johnny, who do you give your game ball to? Can I, can I give out two? Yeah. yeah. First one will go to Jimmy. I mean, and here's why. Uh, the amount of criticism he's gotten this year, the big the big storyline was this year has been from national media has been is this guy they can trust? He's the weak link on the team, right? We've heard that, and he's the guy that if they can't run the ball, can they win? Well, Cardinals take away a run game, and we win. Everyone says, well, it's the Cardinals. They're a terrible pass defense, and they say, well, can he can he go up and and out duel? one of the premier top guys in this league and he goes into new Orleans and does it, you know, there's been a lot of attention given to Lamar Jackson and Russell Wilson, who are the two guys who lead the, the race for MVP right now. Right. We, I think everyone agrees on that, but think about this. Who would you rather have right now? If your team is down by two scores and you're in the fourth quarter and you got to throw to win, would you rather have Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, or Jimmy Garoppolo right now? Who do you think can throw the ball better? Who's Who do you think can sit in the pocket and deliver the ball? Because we've seen Russell Wilson with that yesterday against the Rams. That didn't end well for them. Right. We saw Lamar Jackson have that against the Chiefs and the Browns. That didn't end well for them. Jimmy Garoppolo was down by two touchdowns in this game, had to throw to win, and he won. So, I mean, we're talking – I give a game ball there because 
I think he did something in that game that I'm not sure the MVP guys in the league would do. Now, that may be the homer in me and the fan in me saying that, but, and I know, you know, some people, if they, especially Ravens or Seahawks fans heard that they'd want my head, but I don't care, you know, it, <laughs> <laughs> it, but he played at an MVP level yesterday. And so I say the, the game ball goes to him. The other game ball to me goes to Kyle Shanahan because he outcoached Sean Payton. Ooh, I mean, that's you, a good one. You, you look at the blunders that Sean Payton made in that game. What's the, been the biggest knock on Shanahan that he chokes in the big games, right? Well, who choked in that game? Who decided after a penalty, after the penalty on Jared Cook or the penalty on Akella Witherspoon for the hit on Jared Cook to go for two instead of kick the field goal? That was Sean Payton. He doesn't get it. So later in the game, when they at the end of the game, when they score a touchdown, why did they have to go for two on, after that touchdown? Because they went for two earlier and missed it. If they had just kicked a field goal, they'd been kicking a field goal after that last touchdown to tie the game or to go up by three. And so we can't kick a field goal and win. So now they had to go for two then. They don't get it. He tries a fake punt, doesn't get it. He got out coached in that game. Right, the Buddy Ryan rule. And and it seemed like he wasn't, his reaction suggested that he wasn't aware that that applied. And you think, you think he'd know that, you know, I mean, I I didn't, I haven't heard that rule in a long time because I haven't seen a play quite like that. But to me, it makes perfect sense. The defender doesn't know it's a fake punt. So he's playing the punt. So he's doing exactly what you, and by the way, there's holding on every single punt return. Yeah. So. As, as Dean Blandino said it, you know, if if they allowed that every time a team went to punt, they would fake and throw a pass every time. Yes. I mean, that's just what it would be because every time there would be pass interference. And Buddy and then, Ryan did it six times in a single season, which is why the rule even got invented in the first exactly, place. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, the other thing, too, that 75 yard touchdown to Emmanuel Sanders, that was the same play that George Kittle scored the touchdown against Green Bay. Because that's the Kyle Shanahan offense, that he can take the same plays and dress them up with different personnel in different places and run them over and over again. Teams will have no idea what's coming at them because he can move pieces around and hit you with the same thing. You just don't know you're getting hit with the same thing. So, I mean, so you remember the the touchdown against Green Bay where Kittle was wide open? Same play, but it was Emmanuel Sanders. Right. And then and then compound that with pre-snap motion and play action pass. Good luck. Yeah, no. I mean, they 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 don't know what's <laughs> yeah. happening. They they because no. you can't key. Okay, well they've they've taken this shot with Kittle, so we've got an eye on Kittle and you know account for him that he doesn't leak out the backside. Well, now all of a sudden Emmanuel Sanders is gone for seventy five yards. So to me, Jimmy Garoppolo, Kyle Shanahan, game balls. Those nice. are good ones. I can't argue uh, with that. No, can't argue with that at all. Uh, my game ball. Oof, that was good. Good Johnny. Hell, man, you came in throwing some haymakers yourself today. Uh, Jim, Jimmy G for me as well. You know, this, I think, really – I I think he's played brilliantly all season. You know, Statistically, he, he, he's been a, he's been like a top three quarterback since the, the second – in the second half of the season. I, I was going to say, especially from from week eight on, he really came into his own. People – it's – what I think is kind of silly, uh, especially when you get the talking heads talking about Jimmy G, this guy came off a devastating ACL tear. He's playing his first full season ever as a starting quarterback. And the they Shanahan has brilliantly orchestrated this 
his, I feel like his evolution through the season. And, you know, he basically had Jimmy G in a very kind of managerial, game managerial role for the first four or five games. And even then we saw flashes flashes of brilliance like we did in game three uh, with Jimmy G. We saw moments where he was capable of playing at this level. We're also averaging 200 yards a game too. So his job was, you know, really easy at that point. Yeah, and it's only as 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 the demands of the season have gotten higher, as the demands of the the competition has gotten stiffer, all we've seen Jimmy G do is rise to the occasion. He hasn't sh- 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 uh, shrunk. He hasn't. She hasn't run away from the limelight. He's gone right into that spotlight, and he has risen to the occasion time and time again. He, in my opinion is the most natural best pocket passer that I've seen since Montana. Now, I'm not saying he's Montana. I'm not saying that he's, you know, at that level, that Montana's the GOAT, one of the all-time greats. But just his pocket passer awareness, his ability... His his ability to play from the pocket and the kinds of the kinds of passes he's capable of throwing in the big moments. This is the last time we saw a guy at this level with that much control was was Joe. Steve, it took Steve a while to develop into that. And once he did, he was unstoppable. But he didn't come out the gate that way. Jimmy G is coming out the gate that way, the same way Joe did. Alex Smith never had this level. Kaepernick never had the accuracy that Jimmy G has. And Shanahan, you know, kind of to your point to yes and you. Uh, about Shanahan, Johnny, I think he's the best the best play caller we've had since Walsh. I think he's leaps and bounds among Harbaugh, and I really enjoyed uh, Harbaugh. And you know, we've talked we talked about that uh, on the last podcast together. I-, I think he's leaps and bounds above him. This the uh, but this game for me, once again, in in my opinion, it it wasn't Jimmy G's coming out party. It was just another notch on the resume that for me solidifies that this is a great quarterback, and this is somebody that as the season wears on, and as we move into future seasons, you're only going to see him develop. We are, guys, we're looking at his first season. This is season one. I mean, can you imagine where we're going to be? I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but can you imagine where we're going to be in two or three years if he stays healthy and he manages to continue on this track? This is the bottom rung for him. 20, 26 out of 35, 349 yards, average of 10 yards a pass, four touchdowns. That's his. Yeah, that's, I would say. This yeah, is the baseline for this guy. He's getting. We're, we're watching him get progressively better in this season and in subsequent seasons, barring any injury, which can be said about any player, to be honest. But barring any of that, you know, he's going to get better. He gives me the impression that he's going to get better because he, I, I'm watching him get better from game to game. And you know, t- to your guys's point, for the and and for fans that may be on the fence about it, think about this: Joe Montana threw double-digit picks eight times in his career. Eight times. That was eight times he was giving the ball to the opponent in double-digit figures, okay? And there's plenty of other quarterbacks that are playing right now that have multiple double-digit interception seasons. It's hard to throw single-digit, to go a whole season and just throw in a single-digit category. It's really difficult to do that. The ones who the ones who have double digits are the ones who tend to take the most risks, but they also get the most rewards if they're able to hone their skills. Such as, you know, uh, Peyton Manning threw like twenty eight picks his first season. He was horrible <laughs> in his first year. No one, no one ever talks about that. You know, Jimmy G's got is twenty five and eleven. That ratio is amazing. His quarterback rating, he's eighth in the league right now. Touchdown totals for the year, he's fourth in the league in that category. Completion percentage, he's fifth in the league. This is a top five quarterback right now. 
and people, you know, want to judge, you know, if, if you start breaking down the numbers, his statistical rankings, he is, he is 10th uh, or in some of the most important categories, touchdowns and completion percentage, which are by far some of the most important ones. He's top five. He's up there. He's up there big time. Want to hear something crazy? Yes. Since the Sanders trade, I have some numbers for you. Yes. Since the Emmanuel Sanders trade, if you if you took those averages out of every game since that trade and put it onto a 16-game season, 70% completion, 4,400 yards, 41 touchdowns, and 11 interceptions, and 113 quarterback rating. Insane. Wow. Wow. If you were to project I, out from that trade through 16 games? Yep. That's crazy. That's and he crazy. and he threw those kinds of numbers in college. He was a big time touchdown pass machine in college. I for me again the especially the early hiccups in the season had to do with time away from the sport, recovery from injury. I have seen nothing from Jimmy G this season that has led me to believe that we're looking at like a Jared Goff who, you know, is, is really kind of a product of the system and, 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 and really has had some serious regressions. And I think in general is more, is, is an average quarterback, but doesn't really have the ability to be a great one, you know, or uh, Smith, Alex Smith, who, you know, uh, bless him, great quarterback. I, I loved Alex Smith, still love a Smith. He's, he's great. He did a lot of great things for this team, but his ceiling was just so visible especially on third down you know it was never more visible than than it was it was i mean alex smith 300 yards to save his life the worst (laughs) third down conversion rate of all time it's so bad bad. one for 13 every game yeah Yeah, every game and now like you said raymond could never throw for 300 yards just could never do it can never get to that can never get to, to 300 yards to save his life and uh his his ceiling was so visible and for me as a guy who's watched every single game Jimmy G's ever played for the 49ers and seen every game in between, you know, every year, he completely passes the eye test. And, you know, like I said, a lot of these earlier hiccups, I'm like, oh, you know, he's just getting, he's getting, he's getting reacclimated to the sport, getting reacclimated to the speed, holding onto the ball a little too long, you know, you know, little mistakes, but not, those nothing. little things will get cleaned up. And that's something that does need to get cleaned up because he's taken more sacks than he's needed to because he's, he's a little stubborn and is, and he's always thinking to get the ball into one of his receivers hands instead of sometimes, you know, what, what some of the greats do is they learn, all right, this play might be dead. So probably better to just live to pass or run another day and throw the ball away. He hasn't learned to the throw the ball away thing. I mean, he's done it sometimes, but there's been times when he's kind of just, he's really just trying to make the play happen and God bless him for doing that because it's not easy to do the off script stuff like late in the, like the the touchdown pass to Kendrick Bourne when the pocket collapsed he rolled out to his left the the Kendrick Bourne improvised his route at that point cuz the play the play had gotten uh, blown up and then he found Kendrick Bourne in the in the middle of the, of the end zone that that's the type of play that he's trying to do that when when the play breaks down he's trying to make those types of plays but there are certain instances when you just need to throw it away and something like that i think he'll clean up i think he's already gotten better that like you know you actually saw him going uh, going for that that big first down run which is something you hadn't really seen him do before and obviously if if we we can see it you know Kyle Shanahan sees it. I mean, the guy, the guy's a, a genius. So if these are things that we're seeing, clearly these are things they're addressing. And I thought actually, I thought he did a pretty go- good job of addressing those issues in this game better than I had seen him do in previous weeks. 
But yeah, my da- my game ball definitely goes to Jimmy G. Now, gentlemen, one last thing before we got on out of here. We had a real big turn of events on Sunday evening. We had the Seahawks lose <laughs> to the Rams. Man, that was... A- they didn't just lose. They got beat. So let's talk let's talk about the Seahawks for a minute. And I've talked about this before on the Goldcast and this team has won I think it's like ten, it's is it 10 games is it all 10? I don't it's it's a high number. I'd say between 8 and 10. I looked up the number uh earlier in the day but I've already forgotten what the number was. But they've 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 won by more almost every game this season's been by one score. Uh, uh, it's been a one-score win. I mean, they they have been squeaking by on these victories, and this is something I've talked about before on the Goldcast. That you know, I believe they're capable of beating any of the big teams on any given Sunday. I do not believe they're capable of defeating the gauntlet of the NFC to get to a Super Bowl. And last night was one of those games where you just really saw the uh. The flaws that really that exist in this team, Johnny. I want to bring. I want to throw it to you first. What were your thoughts on that Seahawks Rams game? Rams, uh, you know, people this morning, which I thought was hilarious. Oh, you know, the Rams are firing back. I'm not scared of the Rams. I don't believe they're going to be in the playoffs. It's not going to happen. But the Rams gifted us first place back in the NFC. What are your thoughts on that game and the outcome and how it has obviously had huge implications on the 49ers seating? I loved it. Uh, I mean, I hate the Seahawks. I mean, <laughs> loathe the Seahawks. And so, uh, not gonna lie, because as I shared on my the last time I was on, I lived in Seattle for a while, and so I have a lot of connections to people there. And I tell, I can tell you, after we lost to the Ravens last week, and then they beat the Vikings on Monday night. I was getting tagged on Facebook and on all sorts of things. People telling me, thanks for holding on to first place for us. We'll take it from here. All this. I mean, they were running their mouths. And I had some fun with some people on Facebook. I'll tell you that Um, (laughs) (laughs) after that game. But, you know, they're they're a team that they are they're going to fight the whole whole time. But. They are not the their talent level is not where it's been. And if they went and like you said, if they go up against the gauntlet of teams in the NFC, I don't think they they're not as talented of a team. They may be able to, you know, get a lucky play here. Russell Wilson pulled some sort of thing out of his butt that he always does. But I don't I don't you can't make us when they when they've won, when they've gone to the Super Bowl. It wasn't off of just, you know, fighting harder than everybody else or everything. It was they were they were an extremely talented team and their defense was talented from front to back. They don't have that. They have an inconsistent D line and they have a very streaky secondary, a secondary that can be locked in at times and other times can be completely exposed. So, you know, I, I don't see them and they don't have. They don't have a rhythm offense their offense is going to be we're going to bludgeon you bludgeon you take a big shot bludgeon you bludgeon you take a big shot if they can't bludgeon you they're 
they're in trouble. And that's what happened against the Rams. They could not bludgeon the Rams. And the, I mean, they live for the explosive ball and they didn't have that. I mean, their offense looked pitiful last night. So uh, they, they're, they're a team, like you said, I don't think they have the talent to match the other top teams in the NFC. Completely, completely agree. Raymond, your thoughts on that big turn of events in Los Angeles. First place again. That's the first thing that came to my mind. We're top. We're, we're right back to where we belong in first place, and and that that loss is huge. I think we definitely need to keep pace with in the W column because I want the number one seed for this team heading into the playoffs. I think they need it. I want them to get rested because their chances are so good this year that that that's going to really help them going forward. And if they don't get it, they don't get it. But Obviously, I think that's what Kyle Shanahan's going to be pushing for. I think that's definitely the mindset of this squad. But yeah, that watching it would be one. Th- At first, I well, I didn't have a lot of high hopes for the Rams, but their first game was a lucky a lucky win. You know, it was it was exactly our game, right? We missed the field goal, they go back and get it. You know, the Rams missed the field goal, they lose the game. You know, just some unfortunate luck where the the team had it had them against the ropes and just, you know, and didn't execute in the moment that they needed to. And that's how they got by against us and the Rams. But this time was complete opposite. I don't know what Sean McVay did to change things around, but the pass rush was there. They they flustered him. They stuffed the run. Aaron Donald was a menace. This team played played much better to their potential. The problem is, you know, they still they have a lot of bigger holes. Their their holes outweigh their stars. And they don't have, they, you know, I don't see a lot of big linebackers. There's, there's, the linebackers are an issue for them. You know, that's why the game that we have for them two weeks from now is going to be a big one. I, I obviously think we're the better team, but some of the injuries that we have, that could help them. That could definitely help the Rams going forward. But I'm getting ahead of myself. You got to, well, you know, that and those are, when we're, we're here to talk about the Seahawks' uh, shortcomings in their unfortunate loss. And if, you know, if you want an in-depth analysis on that, you have to go to the Hawk cast. <laughs> or to, to to think about that more, you know, if you guys want to get chime in with that crew and that crowd to, to learn more about the loss and the, the more in-depth analysis. But we're all we're going to say here is that we're very happy about it. We're back in first place in the NFC West and we're back atop uh, the first seed in the entire conference. So those are the two positions that I want for this team going forward. And I was very, very thrilled. It was a Sunday was a tremendous day. I won fantasy. Niners won. And we got first place back in, in the two key categories that matter most uh, for this playoff run. It was that 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 Rams win, and they did. They looked dominant from the outset. I mean, they just looked like a team on a mission. And, you know, God They looked like the old Rams, to be honest. Even Gurley played, looked like his old self to mm-hmm. a degree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, well, and they, you know, they had mentioned before that they were really trying to save Gurley for these later weeks, I just don't think they expected to be in such a playoff deficit in terms of seating and ranking. But now they're only a game back behind Minnesota. But I still, I don't think. No, I don't think they're going. I no, I don't believe in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, Minnesota is a much more well-rounded team. Yeah, but it was it, you know we sitting on the high all day of this huge 49ers victory, and then watching the Seahawks just hand us back. The NFC West and the NFC. <laughs> Literally, we're all the way, we go all the way back to the one seat. It just, what a way to end what was already a glorious, glorious Sunday. 
and uh, definitely excited and you know excited to see where we go. A little concerned about the injuries, but uh, you know Atlanta Atlanta is not the strongest foe, and this will be again you know you have to treat them like they're the most dangerous animal you've ever seen in a cage because the second you don't that's when you get caught and Shanahan is so good about that he's these guys are so locked in and every- and if there's any team he knows it's it's the Atlanta Falcons yes absolutely and you know he the, the, I have no doubt, there is no doubt in my mind that this team will be looking right at Atlanta, square in the mouth, and and it treat them as just as if it was the Seahawks or the Saints or the Ravens or any of these teams. But the now the our playoff dress rehearsal has finished. It was a it was a great, great run, and now it's all about holding on for three more weeks to maintain this seed. As you said, we do not want to be in the wild card position. You don't want to have to go on the road for three weeks and go through the gauntlet of the NFC. You want a one week rest and you want some of these teams to knock each other out and then face some, and I have to only play two games, the divisional and then the NFC championship. That's really what you want to have happen. And it is imperative, especially with, with where the team is in terms of injury. It's imperative that we get that one week rest. And I believe we're going to do it. So, uh, Johnny, I think any- so too, because because if you make it all the way, you're you you know in theory, if you stay in the first seed and also make it to the Super Bowl, you're going to get two weeks, two bye weeks in there to rest up and prepare for both those games, mm-hmm. and that's going to be huge, you know, in terms of health. Absolutely. So, Johnny, any final thoughts before we leave? I think we all need to become Green Bay's biggest fans right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hope they get the number two seed. Yeah. See if we can see if we can face them in the NFC Championship game. Well, everyone's saying they want to see a rematch of uh, Saints 49ers. Uh, I don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my, my, my heart can't handle that. <laughs> uh, I love it. Raymond, final thoughts. Uh, for all you Jimmy G doubters, his, his touchdown total is better than Kirk Cousins, Deshaun Watson, Dak Prescott, Aaron Rodgers, Matt Ryan, Patrick Mahomes, Phillip Rivers, Carson Wentz, Matt Stafford, Tom Brady, and Derek Carr as far as relevant quarterbacks that are playing right now. Matt Stafford's actually injured, injured, so he kind of doesn't count, but he was 19-5 and five of them before he got injured. Ooh, that is quite the list, Ray. That is quite the list. Uh, my final thought, enjoy this victory, Goldcast Nation, 49er faithful. Have, have some more fun with it. Relish in it. And then once we get, once we get to preview Friday, it's time to focus on Atlanta. We will be back... Uh, either late Tuesday night or early Wednesday morning, we will be releasing, you got to hear this, Johnny. I want to hear your thoughts after we release this podcast. Our top 11 greatest 49ers of all time, Candlestick Will, Raymond, and myself, each put together our own unique list and did not reveal it until the episode. No one knew what anyone else did. There was some debates. We had a couple little debates about where where people belonged or or who who made people's lists uh, we we don't think no one will agree with all of our lists they're very subjective but at the end of the day all three lists were great very some some shocking shocking additions on all three everyone had at least one or two people where you're like whoa i i had Wow, not in a bad way, but just I'm I'm shocked that that guy's on your list. And then even there was even a couple times where it's like I should have had that guy on my list. There was some of that too. So it's you a, had Candlestick Willie, <laughs> Candlestick Willie. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so we've got 
literally top 11 49ers of all time. We're going to be releasing that. We recorded this episode last week. We will be releasing it either late tomorrow or early Wednesday morning. Just comes down to our scheduling. So, so concludes another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Salisa Third, and with me is my brother, my co-host, Raymond Salisa First, baby, and our very special guest host, Johnny Dell. Awesome. We will see you next time. Same Gold Cast time, same Gold Cast channel. This is, this is the Gold Cast.